born in other countries, yet believing you could be happy in this. Our laws acknowledge, as they should do, your right to join us in society, conforming, as I doubt not you will do to our established rules. That these rules shall be as equal as prudential considerations will admit will certainly be the aim of our legislatures, general and particular. Thomas Jefferson. Part 2. Summary of the U.S. Business Visa Process. Chapter 5. Discover the ideal U.S. business visa for you. So what's better than a green card? The number one misconception Canadian citizens have around the process of migrating to the United States is most of them believe the only way to attain lawful status to live and work in the United States is by qualifying and either be sponsored for or investing a large sum of money into a green card venture. We used to think the same way. And it was a mistake for us to have remained woefully uninformed on this matter for about five years while traveling back and forth from Canada to the United States. It wasn't until Boxing Day 2015 when we crossed by land at the Lewiston Port of Entry near Niagara Falls with our two bearded dragons and our travel trailer in tow that we discovered we had other options for attaining uh, lawful status in, in operating a business and living inside the U.S., All of our entries into the United States have been and remain memorable primarily because of the sheer emotions associated with entering a foreign country by land in our vehicle and having to be officially admitted to stay uh, for the amount of time that we request. But our Boxing Day 2015 has remained extra memorable. During this cold Canadian winter's day, we had experienced something that most Canadians are unaware of that they can't do when they enter the U.S., especially through New York State. Like in our previous five-month-long road trip south of the border, we confidently drove up to the customs inspection booth, pulling the travel trailer we randomly named Shirley with our two bearded dragons, Peachy and Oreo, basking away under a hot lamp inside their glass terrarium, which was secured in the back seat. The officer at the booth began asking us questions, which he began to be satisfied with the answers until he uttered the question, are you traveling with any weapons? To which we both responded at the same time, yes, we have a police baton. What we learned that day entering the United States and carrying objects across the border that are considered weapons is not all states have the same weapon laws, especially when it comes to police batons. Even though we were being questioned by federal officers at the border, we found out later that the New York state law prohibits you from coming into the state with a police baton, whereas Michigan state law allows these types of personal weapons where we had crossed before with a police baton. This honest mistake on our part landed us in a bit of momentary hot water as we were verbally scolded for having the baton threatened with the possibility of one year in jail, fingerprinted and escorted back to the Canadian border where we were welcomed back by two laughing Canadian border officers. They had been notified minutes prior by their border counterparts on the U.S. side that they would be escorting back two young Canucks with an object deemed a weapon in New York State. Ironically enough, for all their anti-gun laws in Canada... Police batons are legal to bring back in, into Canada. So after a short detour back to St. Catharines, Ontario, where we refilled our gas tank and dumped our police baton in the garbage, as per the U.S. officer's instructions, we returned to the border an hour later. By the time we had returned to the U.S. port of entry at the exact same place we had just gotten escorted away from an hour before, the officer interviewing us seemed a little bit more relaxed and eager to facilitate our entry into the United States. We even had a few of them smiling and chuckling as we brought in our two bearded dragons and presented their pet passports and health papers signed by a Toronto vet doctor. 
The atmosphere was a lot less tense because the morning rush of casino-bound buses filled with Canadian seniors had already cleared through, and by 11 a.m., it was just Melissa and I and our two one-pound reptiles waiting to be processed and admitted into the U.S. Almasan! I heard a voice yell out from one of the computer stations across the room on the immigration side where only one hour before that, the officer was holding my wrist above a fingerprint machine. I walked up to the counter with Melissa and the officer began to ask us a series of questions that sounded something like this. How do you make your money? If you have U.S. customers, how come you're not incorporated out of the U.S.? What does your family do for a living? How are you able to leave the country for so many months? You're not even old enough to be retired. Are those reptiles allowed in the U.S. or do I have to call fish and wildlife? What are your parents' names? How did you two meet? Why did you have a police baton in your car? What do you do for a living? Why don't you have printed bank statements showing your income? Do you rent or own your home in Toronto? How are you able to take off so much time? What's so special about snowboarding in California? Where are you going to be staying in California? How did you find those places you're staying at? Melissa and I answered every single question, and some of the ones I cannot remember to list here are the best way we could. We knew we were telling the truth, but often when you enter a foreign country, not just the United States, the border officers will ask you the same question in many different ways to see if you're telling the truth. They're highly trained in reading body language, voice tempo, and your overall micro expressions. And combined with the number of documents you carry with you, you better always be telling the truth. Everything gets recorded in your immigration record and stays with you for many years. That morning at the border, we found one vital tidbit of information responsible for shaving years off our learning curve. It was as if we were meant to have that experience at that time of crossing to learn what we needed to for the sake of our future business visas. As we were explaining our business model, which is primarily online based and explaining to the immigration officer why we had not applied for a green card if our intent was to operate a U.S. business, a look of confusion appeared on his face. You don't need a green card. From listening to our answers and explanations, it dawned on him that we were unaware of our other business visa options available at our disposal. He proceeded to inform us of this other visa specifically available to Canadian business owners, entrepreneurs, and investors who don't have an intent to become U.S. citizens like with a green card, but who wish to invest, purchase, or develop a business in the United States and live there temporarily for as long as they own that business or venture. I can remember feeling like a huge weight lifted off my shoulders and a great path of opportunity had just been laid out before us. We were told all we had to do was follow that path and we could live in the United States year-round. The best entrepreneur visa for Canadians. At the time I'm writing this book, there are 19 temporary worker visas that foreigners who wish to work, sing, act, be religious workers or athletes can legally apply for, not just Canadians. Don't let the worker word confuse you. These visas include self-employed business owners and entrepreneurs, not just people who wish to work for others in in the United States. But for the purpose of this book, I assume that you're a Canadian citizen that is either an entrepreneur, an investor, or a business owner that wishes and has a desire and a drive to discover the U.S. immigration options at this point in time. One of, uh, out of the, uh, 19 temporary worker visas available to you, uh, you might f- most likely f- qualify for either an E visa or an L visa if you're one of the above. It's up to you to figure out which one of these suits you the best, and you should speak to an immigration attorney or contact me directly, and I will refer you to either ours or help you find one that is actually not busy enough to take on new cases. But the fundamental difference between the E-Visa and the the L-Visa is this. The E-Visa 
is usually for Canadians who wish to enter uh, into a purchase agreement to purchase a U.S. business or start a new one. The L visa is available to Canadians who have an established and producing Canadian-based business who wish to expand their company and open a branch or a U.S. location. Now, for the purpose of this chapter and the remainder of this book, I will primarily teach you the things we have learned and experienced through our e-visa process. But again, I would be more than glad to refer you to an immigration attorney here in Southern California, or you can find one in Canada, that's up to you, who can assist you and help you apply for the appropriate business visa, whether you are planning to relocate to California or any other state. Tip, the U.S. business visa and the immigration attorney you choose um, and these things that allow you to live in the U.S. once approved because of the attorney and the visa process are part of the federal immigration process. What this means, essentially, is that you can live anywhere you want in the United States once you have that visa. You will be a non-immigrant entrepreneur. I strongly believe in my heart of hearts that the best option for you as a Canadian business owner, investor, or entrepreneur is to pursue the process of applying for an entrepreneurial visa if you wish to exercise your God-given rights to become as entrepreneurial as possible here in the U.S., the freest and most business-friendly country on the planet. But what you must also equally know is that whatever entrepreneur visa you qualify for, apply, and are granted, you will be a non-immigrant in the United States. And that is actually great news. Given the times that we Canadians live in and the way we must operate businesses in Canada where opportunities are much less abundant than in the United States, and considering how pressed for time most of us are and how fast we want to leave the country and earn a living elsewhere, a green card visa would not be the best option for you, in my opinion. Now, as a side note to go off the script here, some of these uh, entrepreneurial visas, like the L visa, for example, if you were to um, uh, establish a um, U.S. base of operations for your existing Canadian business, that has a path to green card. If you were to get a uh, highly highly skilled job, like if you work in STEM or you're into um, if you're into coding or you know technology, even even building infrastructure and construct and, and construction uh, work here in in the U.S., especially if you were to work for the government, um, anything that's highly skilled would uh, would allow you to essentially apply for an H-1 visa, an H-1B visa, which also has a path to green card. But again, this book and everything that I teach is mostly for the E-visa. And even though I, I, I know things about the other visas, I would only be able to fully assist you and advise you on the E-2 visa. So um, you know what? It can take many years as of right now, three to five years to obtain a green card. And even then you need at least, I would say right now you need $900,000 if you were to apply in a low, um, in a high unemployment area, they call it a TEA targeted employment area, but really you need 1.8 million us to invest here in the United States to top it all off. A green card application would imply that you're ready to leave Canada for good, break all ties, and become a permanent resident in the United States. This is not what Canadian business owners, entrepreneurs, and even investors want when they think of how they would like to live in the U.S. full-time and run a business inside this country. Some do, but most don't. But most Canadians don't know any better and are not aware that there exists a business visa for the U.S. that ultimately allows you to do the same thing, which is live here, grow your business, allow your spouse to work, your children get to go to school, and does not force you to uproot your Canadian life any more than you have to. To top it all off, 
the investment required for an EV is somewhere around $100,000. Now, again, to go off the script, the minimum requirement for you to commit to the United States um, under your, your e-visa, even before you get your visa to actually start a business here in the United States, a lawyer will, will, will take your, uh, your case if you've already invested about 75,000. So that's as of early 2023. But just to be safe, aim for about 100,000 US. Okay. Uh, moving on. Considering that this visa is temporary and can be renewed every five years indefinitely, I, bu- I firmly believe that it's a much better play than aiming for a green card right away. The good news is that the e-visa is known to be a dual intent, which means that even if you had an e-visa for, let's say, seven years and your business was financially successful, that it could meet the green card criteria, you could legally apply for a green card at a later date. But the whole point of the e-visa and of this book really is to offer you my personal opinion, which you should have a U.S. immigration attorney confirm, and that is the fastest and most legally sound way of leaving Canada for the U.S. to start a business is by attaining an E-2 visa. Much better, in my opinion, than a green card. Now, before I finish off the chapter, some um, the dual intent concept is a little bit confusing. Some lawyers will actually tell you that the e-visa does not have dual intent, and some lawyers will tell you that it does. Really, the difference between the e-visa, the easiest way to explain it, and the other visas that actually have the dual intent, which allow you to apply for uh, the green card directly, is that with the e-visa, before you apply for your green card, you actually have to make a separate application to the USCIS when you're inside the country or to the consulate. You have to actually request permission to apply for the green card. So that's what makes things a little bit more complicated with the e-visa. Okay, so you're going to be hearing a lot of talk um in the coming years, especially if you connect with lawyers about the differences between the E visas and the L visa and, 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 um, and the H visas. Now the H visas and the L visas, those are, have a direct path to green card. And with an E visa, if your E visa business grows to a business level, a financial level where you actually have the money to invest into a green card, you can technically apply for a green card, but first you need to ask for permission to apply for a green card and then apply for the green card as the H visa and the L visa people could. I hope that makes sense.